I didn't bring my A game today. Jeez. Your notes are a little loose. Yeah, they can't all be gems. Hello, welcome to Hat Trick. I'm Jordan Deller Coltman, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Elliot Tanti and Braden Deller Coltman. We're back for another riveting and exciting and exhilarating episode of everyone's favorite sports talk podcast, Hat Trick. First off, boys, welcome to this week's episode. How you feeling? How you doing? I know Braden just uh, finished watching a very exciting boxing match. Uh, did you get your oh, money's worth? It was so boring. I mean, there were some really nice, uh, you know, <laughs> no, I didn't. Were you no, going to say really was... nice shorts? <laughs> there were some really nice shorts, some nice uh, some nice matchups, some nice stories. But at the end of the day, it was a complete waste of my time. As and money. I should have known. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, how about you? Did you uh, spend your money on anything silly today? No, I, uh, I uh, managed to mostly use my time in a worthwhile fashion this weekend, Jordan. Well done. Congratulations to you. You get the first hats off of the night, um, and we'll get to some more of those later on. All right, uh, let's get to it, boys. Here's topic one. Okay, uh, topic one, big story this week. Um, We're a little late to the party because it's been dissected and digested by a lot of different um, opinionated people over the course of the week, but we wanted to dig into it a little bit because I know all three of us have some thoughts on it. Um, We don't talk a lot about tennis on this show. We have in the past talked about how... Uh, superior Serena Williams has been uh, as an athlete, but uh, sort of the next in line for the women's tennis um, sort of gauntlet, the the next great women's tennis player coming up the ranks and currently world number one is Naomi Osaka out of Japan. And she had a very interesting story this week in France. So at the the French Open at Roland Garros, uh, she announced prior to the tournament that she was not going to be participating in any of the media availabilities or press conferences uh, post-match. She didn't um, at the time express the exact reason why, um, but she made it clear that this was a personal choice and that she also made it clear that she was aware she was going to be fined, that she was ready to be fined and wanted any fines that they were going to levy against her to be donated to mental health charities. So that was sort of the first red flag. Uh, She obviously played her first match, won it. And then as she had already said, did not attend the press conference and was fined by the organization $15,000. They also, uh, um, the French Open, along with the other three majors, so the Australian Open, the US Open, and Wimbledon, all released a very um, long and very strange press release in conjunction with each other, basically sta- stating that you know they did not want this to become an example um, or to to be something that they wanted to let to let uh, I don't know snowball. I guess is the way they had kind of put it. They they couldn't set a bad precedent, and therefore they had to fine her, uh, even though she had made it clear. She chose to withdraw following that, and on Twitter had a very um, well articulated, in my opinion, um, explanation as to what she was going through. She had said that she'd been struggling with depression and anxiety. That these press conferences uh, often left her in a very bad mental space um she was fighting that and had been fighting that for the last couple years and that this was just something she was not comfortable with and so she took the i suppose drastic step of actually withdrawing from the entire tournament which just sort of flipped uh the whole tennis world up on its head and that became the only story coming out of uh, paris which of course (laughs) like so many things when um organizations try to stamp out controversy they often stir up more than they had intended so that's what it became about 
Uh, let's start with Elliot. Elliot, when you first heard about this this whole sort of saga, um, what were your thoughts? Well, I'm, I, I think of like a lot of people, I'm of two minds and it's really difficult to sort of settle on, on a final position. I guess I'm like team sports or um, sports, uh, like I'm thinking legs, I was in NHL where you have a player's union and you start, there's expectations kind of drawn into collective bargaining agreements around participation and a whole number of different things, media being one of them. Tennis is a little bit different because it's an individual sport. You sort of represent yourself and act on, uh, on on your own behalf. You negotiate deals with um, with sponsors by yourself and not as a collective good. And so I, I think one of the main problems that's occurred in this space is that people are trying to apply, you know, team sports or sports with more robust collective bargain agreements onto the situation in tennis. I think, she, you know, uh, Osaka has a right to not participate in media. She doesn't want to, but... I'm sort of challenged when, when you think through what's occurred here, it was pretty, it was pretty predictable. And I think by, and without knowing the specifics of what's anxiety inducing about participating in media, I imagine some of that is having to watch yourself again and be critical of, of what you've had to say or be really thoughtful about that. Um, if you're trying to keep a low profile, not talking to media in this perspective and trying to set a precedent in that way, is not the way to do it. And so if the intention was to be generate less profile and have less pressure because of that, well, that's certainly not the case. And obviously it's led to her withdrawal on the thing. So I think, you know, laudable goal, something that she was well within her rights to do, but I don't think there was a lot of forethought in terms of what the backlash was going to be and how big of a story it potentially could come and, and what the, that the, that the consequences of that action were, um, you know, the exact thing she was trying to avoid by not doing the media in the first place. That's sort of my first thoughts around this. Yeah, I, I'm proud of her, first and foremost, because I, I feel, you know, at 23 years old, to be able to say to a mass group of people, specifically in the media and the, you know, the extensions of that to say, I'm not, I'm not comfortable speaking, I, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with my own stuff. Um, and, and this is, this is what I'm, you know, this is what I'm choosing to do is, is, um, uh, you know, I applaud her, I applaud her at the same time. It's, it's, uh, it's frustrating to see, you know, what this backlash is. And, and, you know, she stated that the pressure she feels when she has to, do, to critique or, or to describe a loss, it, it's, it far outweighs it far outweighs the pressures that she feels playing the sport. And so, you know, to be able to say that this is, <laughs> you guys are here because I am a tennis player. And if I'm not going to play tennis, then what's the point of having you here? Like the, she, she, yeah, she's well within her right to be, to be able to say, this is, this is too much for me. And, and it's, and it's on her own terms. Like, you know, you know, what, what you were just saying, Elliot, about, um, you know, team sports and how there's a collective bargaining agreement and, and you know, precedents around um, media availability and, and what your expectations are. And it's, um, I, I feel like it, none, none of that matters if the, you know, if, if the individual is feeling like um, um, they're compromised and, and, you know, she felt like her mental health was compromised by, by having that a part of her um, experience as a tennis player and, and um, she shouldn't have to stand, she shouldn't have to prove to anyone why, you know, why she made that decision. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with you, both of you in some ways. I think Braden, I do agree with you that I, I think she should be commended for um, standing up for herself, especially uh, you know in an individual sport and as such a young um, woman who you know has the uh, a lot of pressure on her from a lot of different pieces. Like Elliot said, you know, there's sponsors and there's different people who are um, that she is a a money maker for. Um, mm -hmm. And speaking of the money part of it, I mean, I think she knew full well she was going to be fine. She's she she didn't go into this. And, and protest the idea that she was breaking some kind of rule. She knew full well when she made her first statement that that was the case. She made almost mm -hmm. $20 million so far in her career. You know, this isn't a, this isn't a poor athlete uh, who $15,000 fines are going to really hurt in the long run. She was prepared to pay them um, if that's uh, the cost that it was going to take for her to not, to not suffer through that. I think then the escalation of the whole situation, I think, caused even more harm than than the original situation i would also say on the flip side of it okay so what's the reason that the the the, the organization felt that it was necessary to respond in such like a, a heavy way right well they felt probably like they were concerned that she was going to set a precedent okay well what kind of precedent is she setting so many of these tennis players are not in the position she is in, do not have the sponsorships they need. They need the attention. They need the spotlight they get from those media availabilities. They're not just en masse all of a sudden going to stop participating because yeah. one person has identified that they don't want to be there. Um, I think it was incredibly heavy handed the way in which they then went to the other majors and they all got together. It just, it looks, it, the optics of it were so much worse than the original situation. If you want to deal with this quietly behind the scenes, just hand her the, the bill at the end of the tournament after however many press conferences she skips and collect your you know, million dollars or whatever the fines add up to by the end of it, do that. That's the way to handle this appropriately so that you don't get the blowback that I think that they got, and rightfully so. I personally think that they look way worse for their behavior than she does for somehow being the, the, the misbehaving athlete, which we so often characterize as individual athletes as and certainly i think there's also a different standard for men and women we all remember marshawn mm -hmm. lynch and the attention he got after the super bowl press conference the year the seattle seahawks were there where he answered every single question i'm just here so i won't get fined he was lauded in the press for how funny it was and how you know this was just part of his character and he was kind of quirky guy whereas oftentimes when female athletes are in these situations they're looked at as being like oh you're you're not taking advantage of the spotlight of the platform you've been given mm -hmm. it's like no this this woman is clearly struggling with something she's uncomfortable in that situation for whatever reason and frankly for me the reason is irrelevant uh if she's choosing to do it that way the other thing is it's like you, you now she's literally cost it's costing her the athletic part of her career is is she a public figure 100 is that a part of the business yes but if she removed the public figure part of it completely chose to just never speak to the media again should she therefore never be allowed to play i mean for me that's ridiculous i, I we think about great athletes and sometimes, you know, you, you get a, a great athlete who's also great on the mic or great in press conferences, but the truth is they first have to be great on the court or great on the field or great to be considered at that level, right? Muhammad Ali had to be a good ba uh, boxer before he could have the public persona that he then embraced and took over. But there are also so many great athletes who we can look at as examples of guys who were just quiet. They just weren't those people she's not clearly comfortable there and hopefully she's getting the help she needs to to deal with some of the more serious parts of this because i don't believe this is just someone who doesn't like talking to the press because it annoys her this is someone who's clearly struggling and i just think that you know i think there was an opportunity missed by the organization and the tennis sort of community at large to yeah. deal with this with compassion and i think the story flipped 
on them so much faster because they kind of did it to themselves. It was just like, once again, you have an organization not understanding how the PR sort of uh, shitstorm they're going to be bringing down on their own heads by sort of not handling things with compassion, I guess is how I would put it. That, that's sort of my, my two cents on it. Any last thoughts, boys? Yeah, I think the compassion piece is an important one to remember in, in this whole thing. And uh, I, I think that's a, that's a really important point. I guess just my last thing would be like, what are we, we expect too much out of athletes in terms of access to their personal lives. And I think that this is another example of, of, yeah. of how we cross a boundary consistently um, with athletes. Um, and, and, and the backlash, which was really, I felt predictable and could have been avoided um, both by the athletes and the organization uh, shouldn't even be, a, it shouldn't even exist. But I mean, if it's so present prevalent that we've predict, predicted it, then that's a larger problem, right? Yeah. And I think the other thing that's funny when you think about it is who's the, who are they looking out for here by their, their actions? Well, they're looking out for the media. That's their first and foremost partnership, right? With all of the yep. broadcasters who have these agreements with them. And that's kind of who they're trying to make sure doesn't get shortchanged. Oh, well, if one athlete does it, then none of the athletes will talk to the media and then the sport won't get coverage. The truth is, look at how the media responded to their behavior. They turned faster on Roland Garros and the entire tournament than they, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it, it shows so how, how I think sometimes these big organizations, again, I, I think I go, go, go back to that. These big organizations, see the the money first they think about the human factor of it last and then we end up in these situations time and time again mm -hmm. any last thoughts Braden? no all right all right we'll leave it there that's topic one hey topic two this week is brought to us by roma pizza and donaire look we all know that the best thing about edmonton is the many donaire options and I know if you're like me, it can be overwhelming and stressful trying to hunt down all the best. Well, my friends, we have found it and it's time you did too. Roma Pizza and Donaire in Westbrook Aspen Gardens is Edmonton's best kept secret. There's nothing quite like piping hot meat getting shaved and served with a generous ratio of sweet sauce. And look, I know someone out there is saying, yeah, no, that's not really my thing. Well, hold your horses, because there is more. Roma Pizza and Donaire not only serves Edmonton's best Donaire, but they also offer Roma pizzas, dinner platters, chicken wings, chicken fingers, chicken nuggets, chicken tawuk, burgers, salads, subs, baklava, coconut cake, and with summer right around the snow-covered corner, they also have summer specials, deep-fried pickles and deep-fried Oreos. But hey, don't take my word for it. Sometimes tasting is believing. To order, call them at 780-944-9696. That's 780-944-9696. They're open every day except Sunday from 11 until 11 and open till midnight Friday and Saturday. You can also follow them on Instagram at Roma Pizza Donaire. Okay, on to topic two. <clears throat> Uh, this is topic two. Um, this is uh, like part five of a continuing series on the show, right from the very beginning of the series. We, we had talked about the Edmonton football team's name and the racism surrounding their historical, um, unwillingness to address the fact that their name was associated with uh, a racial slur. And gratefully, uh, I think all three of us were grateful to see this past summer. They finally, um, 
they finally had the courage or perhaps felt the pressure um, to change the name. Uh, much like the conversation we just had, I think it was about money more than anything else, but that's irrelevant. The name was changed. Uh, they dropped the racist moniker and moved to a transitional period where they were simply referred to as the Edmonton um, football team, but they never actually had to play a game under that moniker because the season never happened last year. And I know there's still some question marks whether or not the CFL will properly get a season in this year. Regardless, um, the team announced their new name and has rebranded as the Edmonton Elks. Um, they have a new logo, they have a new helmet, um, they have sort of a new brand identity. It was unfortunate timing. I think we can all agree when it was announced because it sort of came right in the beginning of this whole story we spoke about last week with the terrible discovery in Kamloops and a much more um, important conversation going on in the country about uh, racism and the uh, cultural genocide that has occurred or did occur and continues to sort of feel its effects throughout history concerning um, Indigenous people in this country. And so, you know, bit, bit clumsy timing, let's say PR-wise. Regardless, new name, new identity, finally a step in the right direction. Braden, what were your first thoughts or what are your thoughts on the Edmonton Elks? About damn time. They have, um, yeah, that they have a new name. Uh, would I have liked it to have been announced closer to when they play and not at a time um, that is <laughs> a little more important? for the community to be focusing on. Yes, um, you know, I, I, I looked, I saw this quote here uh, of uh, Enoch Cree First Nations chief saying, it's a small gesture, but within the big picture, reconciliation is a never ending road. It might be cliche, but you take it one day at a time. So uh, I think in terms of the overall, um, you know, uh, focus that that organization needs to do in terms of rectifying um, the damage that the name has caused in the community. That's it's uh, it's one step uh, forward, and uh, I hope that that step continues in terms of its um, its uh, uh, reconciliation. Elliot, uh, thoughts on the name or on the the situation at large? Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily agree with you guys. I mean, I, I think it is superficial, uh, a name in and of itself. And so I think taking too much stock into its release date in relation to obviously the horrific events that we talked about last week. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's an example of, of, of at least some reconciliation. And, mm -hmm. and um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily as concerned when it took place as it hasn't. Just a couple of things that have emerged in Edmonton over the last uh, couple of days around the Elks. One is that uh, I think by and large, people are really happy with the look and feel of the new logo and, and with the name. I think that there was lots of trepidation going in. Um, it took way too long to get to this point in terms of the entire naming process and the situation. But, you know, generally speaking, the immediate reaction uh, right after the announcement and some of the subsequent conversation afterwards is that people are generally pleased with this direction. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. And I actually like it too. It also throws back to an old name um, from the, the city as well too. So there's there's some there's some legacy there and some heritage there. You don't think it looks too much like a John Deere logo? It's, no, I, I don't. I it, It's close, but I, I don't think so. And I think that's more of like a color <laughs> I like, thing. Than you're like, maybe like that's the, the demographic. <laughs> I really like the helmet. But this I've, is, always, I've always been a fan of yeah. like the Eagles helmets and the and the Rams helmets, yeah. or even the Michigan helmets. I think there's something cool when it's not just a logo, but it's like, it's a full design. You look like the logo. Well, and I think yeah. there's a bunch of other things to say. The last thing I'll say on this though, there seems to be this like 
ongoing narrative here in Edmonton that I just don't think is actually the truth. But there seems there's this ongoing conversation about how this new name, this new brand, this new Edmonton Oilers our Edmonton uh, football team is going to bring young people to the stands, which is what the <laughs> game desperately needs. I'm sorry, but it's not a name. It's not a logo that's going to that's going to change that. That's going to impact that. That's in-game entertainment, yeah. uh, outreach into the community. Uh, you know, more proactive um, uh, conversation around uh, difficult issues and ongoing situations. Not a new name. So I just want to push wholeheartedly back on that. But that's timing, fair. I don't care about. Logo and name I like, and generally everyone else does. This is not going to bring young people to football. That's just so. I just don't believe that. I agree. I think that's fair. As I, yeah. I mean, I've already solved the CFL. I've explained this for years. I just have to start selling tickets at an affordable price in parts of the stadium people can actually go and sit in, and that you should be bringing new young families, especially immigrant families, where you're not charging people ridiculous amounts of money to be introduced Teaching to the game. They can Teaching actually the enjoy difference. as a family. Anyway, yeah. uh, it's funny, Elliot. You were saying sort of, you know. Early on, people seemed to come around to it. The only conversation I could find online the entire day was this ridiculous argument about the pluralization of the word Elks. <laughs> okay, so let's just make sure that we're perfectly clear here. Just like the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are not the Toronto Maple Leaves, when you are a member of the team, you become a Leaf. They, as collective Leafs, become the Maple Leafs. Elk, yes, as an animal, when you have many elk, they are called elk. However, if you have a player who plays for the team and is an elk, then as a collective, they become elks. That's how names in sports and in organizations and in brands work. So elks is not only grammatically correct, it is entirely the only functional way that this team would work. Anyway, let's leave it at that for, for, for that part of it. I, I agree with Elliot. I think the brand is the, the visual brand is good. You know, obviously they, they had yeah. already sort of ham hocked themselves a little bit into the struggle of how they were going to maintain some form of continuity from the old double E. It was nice to see that. Do they keep the double E? Well, I think it becomes like a secondary they or, do, or like a third logo. Which I think yeah, is fine because it, it does give you a little bit of a tie back. So. Kind of maintains the brand. And I think the opportunity that's that's presented to them from a branding perspective is because they didn't maintain it on the helmet. They didn't maintain it right. in the main merchandise. It allows them to not only slowly transition away from it, but to transition it physically maybe into something in the future. You know, that elk uh, antler is a bit of an E sideways. There's space for some watermark change to happen oh, over time. Boy. Just from a branding design perspective, I think they did a very smart thing holding a little bit of the tradition, the green and gold is obviously really important to that identity, but they didn't, they didn't feel like they needed to cling too tightly to that. I also think like they got lucky in one sense, they made the change when they made the change because of pressure. Let's not pretend like this was some noble act. It wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. if we even remember back a couple of weeks before it happened, they sent out that incredibly, um, problematic uh, survey that was so intended to <laughs> to, to, to sow another Divide. narrative yeah. of we tried but look nobody wants it anyway you know the way in which it was like do you believe that cancel culture is a problem that was was one of the questions on this thing it's literally them trying to save themselves but then the minute that the washington football team did it the minute that bella direct and some of their sponsors finally you know grew some testicles and actually stood up for for the right thing that's what changed the narrative but then they got lucky, I think, in the fact that they didn't have to play a season and they kind of disappeared from the news cycle. No one was thinking about it when it happened, to be honest sure. with you. And then, you know, 
they get a, they get a fresh start and that's what they're going to, they're, they're going to have to embrace. And I think they get an opportunity to that because the CFL, like Elliot said, has much bigger problems on its hand than the name right now in Edmonton. They have to relaunch an entire league in a, in a world that has completely forgotten about them. And they can't just rely on old fans because that's just not enough of them for them to survive. So I don't know what the future yeah. is with them and the XFL and whatever else, but the, the next couple of months is going to be critical for that. Organ- but they that definitely thing. have a leg up right now in terms of a rebranding and, 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 you know, encouraging yeah, that absolutely. part of fandom to, you know, yep. buy in and. Yeah. And they did a good job offering something that I think most people like Elliot said, got behind and that's great. So, yeah. all right, that's topic two. We'll leave it there. Spring in full bloom, it's gardening season. For 18 years, Zocalo has been providing Edmonton with plants, gifts, and flowers. This local flower boutique is located right in the heart of Edmonton's Little Italy. With a wide array of flowers, plants, and gift options, they provide delivery and curbside pickup. Check out Zocalo online at zocalo.ca or call them at 780-428-0754. Okay, we're going to do hats off. We haven't done it for a few weeks. Um, the last time we did it actually was uh, Mother's Day, but the previous one before that, the last proper hats off we did, I took my hat off to Bob Baffert, the trainer at the Kentucky Derby, uh, and his winning horse, Medina Spirit. Uh, I have to put my hat back on because then uh, only a few days later, you know, he was discredited and barred from Churchill Downs because his horse was found to be using performance enhancing drugs. Um, so uh, I may or may not still be able to take my hat off to him once they get the, the next result and he's cleared or he's convicted either way. So uh, we'll just sort of be a little more cautious. I feel like the person I'm taking my hat off this week, though, I am not worried about controversy with. So I will take my hat off this week to uh, Taya Curry, 16 years old, the first woman, pardon me, young girl, because she's 16 years old, 16-year-old girl, drafted 14th round, 277th, sorry, 207th overall in the OHL priority draft first junior men's junior hockey player uh, woman to be drafted it's awesome she's a goaltender played for a triple a u16 men's team or boys team i guess um unbelievable talent out of ontario um she was drafted by the sarnia sting so my hat is off both to that organization and more importantly to her for her incredibly hard work to get to this point um she becomes the only the second um female player to ever play major junior as Shannon Zabados also played uh, three games for the Tri-City Americans, but she was not drafted. So she's also the first um, female hockey player drafted in Canada into the junior program. So my hat is off to her. Congratulations. Hopefully um, in the next couple of years, she can make the team and play major junior hockey. And then who knows what's next? Maybe she's the first actual NHL woman hockey player to uh, make a team and not just play in the preseason. Uh, my hat is off to you, Taya Curry. Elliot? Cool. Yeah, I know. I think that one will definitely live longer than the time you, you, you took your hat off uh, in a sport known widely for animal cruelty. So, yes, I, I, I think that will be better. Um, <laughs> my hat's off this week goes to the Canadian Men's World uh, Hockey Championship team who won gold tonight in overtime. Nick Paul scored in overtime. Scoring on a goal, um, which was assisted by his teammate in Ottawa, Connor Brown. Uh, it's so a bit of a comeback story, which is hard to imagine a Canadian international hockey team, uh, you know, being hard pressed to win. Um, but of course, world champions are always, championships are always different because our best Canadian players are generally still playing in the uh, in the playoffs. It, it appears as though 
it was one Andrew Mangiapani who uh, joined the team after Calgary's exit um, uh, from the league this year who made a significant impact and kicked a fire under that team. And uh, they won gold and it's a really cool story. And uh, there's a lot of guys who uh, that team means a lot too, because they won't necessarily make those international teams in Olympic years, for example, too. And, and uh, I have lots of great memories of watching world championship hockey with Ryan Smith uh, on the team, Captain Canada. So uh, shout out to those guys and uh, congratulations on a world championship uh, victory. I like how you had to catch yourself on uh, Manji Pani's and the Calgary Flames exit from the not playoffs, but they played into the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. It was, it's all very. <laughs> all right, Braden, all right. Who's, who's your hat coming off to? Right on. I'm going to tip my hat to a uh, 24 year old Devin Armani Booker who sealed the deal for the Phoenix Suns, uh, taking out the LA Lakers in six games uh, in the first round. He dropped 47 points. Um, this is the first time that LeBron James has been removed from the playoffs in the first round in his entire career. He's only missed the playoffs once. And fun fact, between he and Steph Curry, they this is the first year in, I think, 10 years that either Steph Curry and LeBron James will not be in the NBA Finals. Well, hopefully Devin Booker gets there because uh, he's playing lights out and, uh, and he's the future. So hats off to Devin Booker. Awesome. That was great. Uh, thank you both. Another great week. Another good show. We will be back again next week with some more, uh, I don't know how to put it, more uh, half-baked and, and uh, half-thought-out ideas. Thank you both, and uh, we'll leave it there. That's Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler coltman and Braden Dyler coltman and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. I'll give you an update on your uh, predictions. So, Braden, you oh, got yeah. Islanders and Colorado still in it? I do. You Colorado's lost... going to make the finals. You lost Florida and Ed with Edmonton. Uh, Jordan, you got uh, <laughs> Vegas and barely Carolina left. Yeah. Uh, you lost out with Washington and Edmonton. And I've got Colorado and Tampa left. Uh, Pittsburgh and Toronto out on my own. I think that might be the final right there, Colorado, Tampa. That's what I think too. Yeah, that's Although, freaky. Those are good teams. Vegas winning tonight, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's a better series than I think, you know, the first couple games went on. So, all right, we'll leave it there. Take care, guys. guys. See ya. That's Patrick.